That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome into the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Excited for you to hear my interview today. Uh, Mike Golick, half of Mike and Mike, signed off alongside Mike Greenberg for the last time on Friday after 18 years on the air as Mike and Mike, the seminal radio show for sports. And on the eve of his last show, last Thursday night, I had Mike Golick on to talk about their run together, uh, his disappointment about how and why the show came to an end, how that's affected him processing the end of it, uh, whether there would be tears. I believe I lost that bet. I wanted someone to show up with an onion under the desk to get to get me the over on the tears, but um, and also what's next? Uh, you know, he's he's going to be uh, staying in that time slot with Trey Wingo and his son Mike Golick Jr., both of whom have been on the pod in recent weeks to talk about the show. So it's a great conversation and, and a very honest one. And Mike and Mike, whether it's you know your taste or not, was a groundbreaking and changing show for this medium and the fact that they're in the hall of fame and would do appearances on Letterman and, and throw out first pitch at Wrigley and, you know, became sort of the face of sports radio and of ESPN radio um, is because of this magical chemistry that they found. And Golik actually talks about the two of them being put together and how it came about and, and that their idiosyncrasies and their differences were capitalized on from the very beginning. Um, for me personally, I had the the honor of uh, guest hosting the show once with Greenberg, maybe a year or so ago. And whenever I was on it, it felt like uh, a very big deal. Maybe not as much of late because obviously I have my own my own shows, my own stuff going on. But early on, especially when I was a um, when I first of all when I was working at ESPN 1000 in Chicago, and they would come do remotes in Chicago, um, I would get asked to be the host or MC for their live shows. Basically, saying they're on so early that most of the places that they're recording, whether that's the Cubby Bear or the House of Blues, don't serve alcohol that early. They don't have the liquor license that early, so we don't want the fans that come to watch the show live to get bored during the commercial breaks while the guys are figuring out their next segment or, or going to the bathroom, whatever. We don't want them to just sit there in silence. So basically your job is to pop up during commercial breaks and entertain them. Now, I'm not a stand-up comic. Uh, the, the other guy in town who used to do it before I took over was a stand-up, so just get up and do bits. And I, I had no idea what to do. So I had people do truffle shuffle contests like in the Goonies. I had people do um, dance-offs or or sing or do stupid talents. I would do quizzes. Uh, one time when it was April Fool's Day, I tricked Greenberg into thinking that one of his exes from Northwestern was in the audience. Uh, that didn't go over as well as I thought. I was still getting to know Greenie's personality. Um but I remember how cool it was to be a part of this giant production. And not that long after I was, I was doing – I used to, you know – playfully call myself the fluffer for the show, which if you know what that means, don't be offended. And if you don't know, feel free to not Google it. Um, it was just a joke. But um, th- after I had done that a couple times and I kind of knew the guys, they would have me on the show every once in a while to talk about a story I wrote or talk about an, an interesting topic that they thought I had insight on. Oftentimes more serious stuff, domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, um, 
you know, the crossovers of sports and social issues and criminal issues. Uh, but I would always get emails or messages. Oh my God, I heard you on Mike and Mike. Oh my God. Wow. You made it. That's so cool. And it really did feel like if you were guest on Mike and Mike, or if you were a part of that show that you made it. So, um, congrats to them on 18 years and looking forward to Greeny's new show and the new show with, with, uh, Wingo and, and Golik Jr. And, and Golik Sr. So, um, here's the interview, uh, really honest one with Mike Golik about the end of the run. That's what she said. Well, I've had Golick Jr., I've had Trey Wingo, so now I need the third part of the newest show on ESPN Radio. Not yet begun, uh, but will be starting soon. Mike Golick, thanks so much for joining me in this last week of Mike and Mike. I'm sure you're getting a lot of requests to, to eulogize the show. Yeah, it's been it's been somewhat interesting. Uh, going along, you know, a lot of people are looking for the nostalgia and, and the stories. Uh, for the past 18 years, and you know, am I feeling sad about it? And certainly, there's there's an air of you know finality to it, no doubt about that. Since it's since it's ending, but I, I haven't had a lot of time to really think about it. You know, to really kind of be sad about it or nostalgic about it, and because you know, I've done so much, and Trey and I, and my son and I have, have done a lot of prep for the next show and interviews and meeting with advertisers, you know how that game works. So we've been doing a lot of that. So I haven't really thought much about the end of the show or it's been a little different for Greeny. He has, you know, his new show, I think is going to start April sometime. So he's got months to kind of just, you know, kind of think about it a little bit. I I basically, I mean, finish this show, take a week and jump right back into the next show. So same slot, same channel, same, just different teammates. So I really haven't, had a lot of time to, to look back on it. Yeah, that's interesting. It is um, the end of something that's been on for 18 years, but it's not a huge lifestyle change for you. It's just a different face and voice across the way from you every morning. Um, and, of course, it's different for the listener. Um, but, you know, this week, I think part of the reason maybe that you're not, beyond being busy, that you're not as emotional is that you've had quite a while to process the end, right? This wasn't a, a call from above that said, all right, your last show is tomorrow. So you've had a no. lot of time to think about it. <laughs> no, that's for sure. This this was uh, pretty long in the making. <laughs> was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, gosh, it would, be, it would be two years this coming February. So I've, I've known oh, about it for a long, long. time. And wow. I, 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 yeah, listen, I know it was it was – pretty much dubbed as the worst kept secret in the industry. And it was, it was, it was a horrible, horrible secret to keep. So, so I, I, in in all honesty, I was not thrilled with the way that all went about. I wasn't thrilled with a, quite honestly, I I was, I'm still a little surprised they're ending the show. It's not my call. You know, I'm an employee, you know, I, I I do what I'm told, but I was a little surprised that they were going to do this. And then they announced it so early. So it was just kind of hanging out there. And right. so it was a shame that we really couldn't kind of talk about it on the show, you know, until all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted with, with everything else, not me with, with everything else that was going on. As I said, when we talked about it on the air for the first time, I said, it's really not my story to tell, you know, it's, it's yeah. the, the, the decision to go the other way. It's greeny you know, uh, and, and the decision he makes as well. So I was just kind of, kind of hanging back a little surprised at the whole thing. And then it was tough to have to deal with the kind of secrecy of it for so long. Yeah. Because then you have, you have, you know, 
restrictions against talking about it yourselves, but of course everybody else can say, yeah. say what they will about about the decision and what's next and, and who decided that it would happen and all that stuff. Um, do you feel like over the time that you've spent wrapping things up, you've gotten to a better place with how it ended and what's coming next for you? Or is there always going to be a part of you that wishes that it hadn't been something that you were told was happening versus a discussion that you had? Well, I mean, listen, I, 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 again, I think it was, it seemed to be a a somewhat successful show. So I'm, I'm still, (laughs) I'll always be, I'll I'll always be surprised at why they did it. Um, the, what, 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 you know, the thought process of, uh, of doing it was to, to split up something that seemed to be working for years, but like anything else, you know, I, I, I've lived in sports all my life, obviously, you know, that as well. And it's like, I've, I've been on different teams doing the same sport, but have different teammates. You know, I was mm-hmm. a Houston Oiler, and then I went to Philly, and I couldn't sit there and mourn over, boy, I was an Oiler. I'm a Philly. I'm with the Eagles now. You know, right. it's the same sport. It's new teammates. And I went from Philadelphia to Miami. Well, and I was in Philly most of my career, but I couldn't be nostalgic or mourn over that. I had a new new teammates to, to play with in the same game. So it's kind of you, you kind of get to that point. In all honesty, you know, there were thoughts even if Mike and Mike had con- was continuing, because like, like I said, this was over a year and a half ago. Our, my deal was originally going to be up this, this December. There was thought I didn't know if that was going to be it or if I was going to do a new deal and keep doing it or not. Right. So I really wasn't sure the direction I was going to go anyway. But in all honesty, once once you know you get past the okay, the show's ending. What's next? They were the ones that told me, "Well, we want a new show. We want you it to be involved with you and your son." I, I didn't ask for that. They approached me about it, and and I said, oh, "Okay, that that sounds very intriguing." And then in mentioning a next host, you know, I've done so many shows with Adnan and with Stu Gotts and and certainly with Trey. And when they were so, there was talk of of all of them, and then they all do so much around ESPN and right. are, are integral to the things they do. You know, so it got more and more talked about with Trey, and and I had done NFL Live with Trey back in 2003, so we've known each other forever. We lived five minutes from one another. Our kids grew up together, so there was always chemistry there. So when the thought was, okay, do it with Trey and your son, I I was kind of, you know, re-energized to say, okay, you know, if you're choosing to end this, then, you know, it's it's like doing the same thing. Like I said, same time slot, same everything but different teammates. So I got kind of re-energized and recharged to say, okay, let's, let's, let's go. Let's, let's make this even better if we can. Yeah. Junior actually said on this pod that, that you were sort of maybe thinking about this was time to, to change things up or do something different or even stop altogether. And then the promise of working with him changed your mind. I wasn't sure if he was just tooting his own horn, but it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like there's some truth to that. Maybe not as much as he said, but, um, and I, I can't wait for Stu to find out that, uh, you know, I'm sure he already knows he was in the mix, but for, for, uh, for, for loyal fans of the Levitard show to know that that was not a ruse that they were playing that, you know, he might, he might leave Miami behind in search of greener pastures. Um, the other analogy that I think of, you mentioned changing teammates is, is you know, you're on the same team because it's ESPN, but we often talk in the locker room, sometimes they need a new voice, right? You, you've got the the Marvin Lewises of the world that seem to be successful, but at some point you just are sick of hearing the same thing. And I, right. and I wonder if you're able to look at this as um, a continuation of your schedule and what you're used to in terms of the time slot and a continuation of the basics, which is going to give you sports and entertainment and fun. Um, but, but giving it to people, you know, with a new voice. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as, 
You know, if they were decided to continue Mike and Mike, I, I still think we, it could have been, you know, as successful as we've, as, as we've been. Obviously, it would have been for even a longer time. But, you know, so, yes, to your point, you look at it as a new opportunity to say, okay, we're doing the same thing. We're doing sports talk. But it is going to, because that's one of the big questions we get asked. How are you going to be different? And as Trey has said and I have said, listen, we're not, none of us are reinventing the wheel here, you know, <laughs> with, with sports talk, you know, but it's, it's all a, a personality driven base. You know, I have mine, Trey has his, Mike has his, you have yours, everybody has their personality. The biggest thing I tell people is what we're doing. I really think, in all honesty, that the last two years of Mike and Mike got turned more to a TV show on radio. And it was when we first started out on TV, on news, before we went to two, it was, it was, hey, do radio on TV, you know, and that means bits, you know, this was a morning show, morning show bits, sound drops, movie drops, music, things like that, you know, that, that kind of make you chuckle along the way of doing sports radio as well. Well, once it was kind of TV on radio, it got a little more segmented. We lost the, the, the ability to do the bits and the drops and things like that. So it it lost a little bit from that standpoint. And, you know, I understood why ESPN wanted to do it, you know, and and between, you know, advertising for TV and radio. So, and plus, again, that's what they wanted to do. So, you know, that, that's what I'm going to do, but this show is going to go back to a, even though we'll be on ESPN two for, you know, half a year or so, at least it's going to go back to radio on TV, which means back to a board op, back to, you know, bits, back to movie drops, back to funny things like that. So that I'm very happy about. I'm happy to bring that back, that element back to it um, with Trey and with Mike and with the new cast of characters that we'll have on the other side of the glass. So that I, I'm definitely looking forward to. Yeah, and, you know, Levitard has talked about that a lot, too. They have this beautiful studio with Miami Beach right outside it, and they moved themselves back into this tiny closet because it just didn't feel like radio anymore when you get super spread out and you're trying to appeal to the cameras for the TV side of things. So um, especially when you're starting out with a new setup and new co-hosts, that will certainly be a better sort of incubator for the kind of conversation that plays best on on radio. Um, but I wonder what Golic Jr.'s role is going to be. Is it a is it a set co-host you and Wingo every day you know, all three hours or four hours, and then uh, he has set days and times? What, what Mike's going to do, Mike will still do first and last, which is on right before us, and he'll be in the studio right right next to us. And then he'll come over on to our show for, and the way we're, we say, at least the first hour. So he'll go four to six, his show, and then jump, you know, the, the 10 feet over into Arch, into his seat. And he'll be on from six to seven every day, east in the first hour of the show, at the very least. You know, we've... Mike's been on every Thursday or Friday with, with me and Greeny. He'd come on at 6.30. He was supposed to stay on from like 6.30 to 7. Right. But there have been times he stayed on until 8, 8.30, sometimes 9 o'clock, given the talk of the situation or how many guests we'd have on. So it it's, will be at least an hour every day, but it can be open-ended to be more than that, hour and a half, two hours, sometimes the whole show. And certainly when either – Trey or I are out, he'll just slide over and it'll just be the, the, you know, either me and Mike doing the show or Trey and Mike doing the show. So he'll do that as well. But so that he'll be on every single day for at least an hour, but it can be kind of open-ended. 
I'm glad to know he'll continue to have no life whatsoever because the, none, those, none. those Listen, hours hey, are unreal. Hey, we've, Sarah, we've all been through it. You know what? Every, yeah. We've all had to play that game. Yeah. When I started out, I, 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 he, what he's doing, I did the same thing. I did studio for NFL Live. I did radio. I did college games on the weekend. So he's got his show. He'll be on, you know, he's part of a mine and Trey show. He's doing his college games. He does some studio work as well. He's doing the Tuesday night thing at his house for the college yeah. football ranking show. I mean, that's what you do, you know, when, you, when you're breaking into it, you do everything. So yeah. I, I, somebody from up, upstairs one time, management, asked me, is he doing too much? I said, hell no, he's young, man. Let him do all that stuff, you know? Yeah, that's that, the that's only you age you can out. do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, A, he's young. B, let him find out where he really wants to, to go by doing a lot of different things. So, yeah, he will have a full plate. He will continue to have no life, and, uh, and, and I'll continue to laugh at him for it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he um he seems to have a really great attitude about accusations of of you know nepotism about sure. needing to just put his head down and work as hard as possible and he knows people are going to say that whether he's good or bad. Um so he just needs to keep being good and and try to prove him wrong. Is that hard for you as his dad though to see him even having to deal with that you, knowing, you know, behind the scenes that he that he works hard and it's something he's been working toward? Well, sure. Any any time you see your kid go through anything, you know, that could be the least bit troubling. Certainly as a, as a parent, you feel for them, no doubt about it. But, you know, I was raised uh, as a, as a, to be a hard worker. You know, I was a 10th round draft pick out of 12 rounds. I wasn't, you know, that that's not guaranteed anything. I had to bust my hump every year just to make it back in the league year after year. And I remember when I got into this business, Steve Sable, who, because I played most of my time in Philly and NFL films was in Jersey. I talked to him after, and he said, listen, there's going to be people know your name out of football. He said, but there's a lot of bigger, you know, more successful football players who are going to get jobs handed to them. And then it's how do they do? So you have to always be ready. It was just like when I was preparing for sports. Now in this line, I was always ready. So when I was needed to fill in here, fill in there, I was ready to go. So I did my work. I was, and I, I thank my parents for that kind of background of always working and being ready. And that's what you know. My wife Chris and I try to instill in, in Mike and in Jake and in Sydney is hard work. You're, nothing's going to be, you know, you're going to have to work for what you do. And when you get to do it, be ready to do it. So. And Mike gets certainly he knows he got a chance at ESPN because of of the last name. And we all know in this world, there are connections everywhere and people get shots in a lot of places because of, uh, of a connection. And Mike certainly did no doubt about that. But that, that, what that does is, as we know, it cracks the door for you. Then you have to take care of, you know, and and anybody who really understands the business knows that if Mike wasn't good, he wouldn't be on air. You can give somebody a chance. Listen, if nepotism worked, he'd still be in the NFL. (laughs) I mean, I played nine years in the (laughs) NFL, and if nepotism really worked uh, at no matter what, uh, you know, he'd still be in the NFL, but he's not. So did he get a chance at ESPN because of the name? Yeah, he did. But the kid busts his hump. I think he does a really, really good job. And there's no way they would keep on air if he didn't. Of course not. So, no. so yeah. he, he is used to hard work. He is used to doing that. And he's used to doing whatever he has to do. So, And he does it. You're right. He does a great job of disarming people by being self-deprecating about that, <laughs> right. understanding right. it, and kind of, kind of taking the power away from people to get on him for it. So, you know, you spend 18 years with Greeny, um, hours every day, 
you know, you, you get to know each other's families inside and out. So in some ways it must feel kind of like a divorce. Um, is that hard to, in terms of inside the company, do people need to choose a side, right? Are you needing to split up the kids? Because you're in the same place. Wingo goes with you. Jalen Rose goes with him. You know, you get your son. Are there other regulars on the show that are going to need to choose one or the other, or are we going to be able to share on, on both shows? Well, that was that was an interesting part, you know, not, not kind of the divorce thing as far as who gets who, but there there is that because once his show starts, you know, it's on seven to ten, so we're going against one another yeah. at that point. So, so there, there definitely was the talk of, hey, um, you know, as far as guests we're having, I mean, is anybody going to be exclusive to one or the other? Or we wanted to, you know, make sure that we still have the ability to have the uh, the guests, you know, and, and things like that. And, and it was talked through it, and, and there's no, oh, they only get him and you only get her or this or that. It's, it, it'll be none of that. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine with that. The one thing that, that I did say I want in the split, I said, you know, Mike and Mike, we have 1.2 million, you know, followers. And Golik and Wingo are getting those. So. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you yeah go. We're, because we're starting right away. You know, their show's not starting for yeah, another five, six sense. months. So it just makes sense. So we're just going to shift that over. <laughs> but as far as, you know, seeing one another and the divorcing, that was always the interesting thing. I remember when he filled in, I forgot Kelly, Kelly Ripa. I forgot who her guest host was at this point. But when, when they would have fill-ins occasionally, Greeny filled in on that. And the one thing he said, he said it was really interesting because when you filled in on that, you they, you showed up basically a half hour before the show. You didn't yeah. really speak to one another, and everything was kind of new on the air. You know, and that was kind of Greeny and I, because we live about an hour and a half from one another. You know, I have three kids. My youngest, my youngest is twenty two. His oldest is seventeen. So our kids are, aren't near the same age. His first kid was born in 2000, the year our show started. And I had a, my last kid was born in 1994. Right. So we didn't have a lot in common with our kids. We lived an hour and a half from one another. So we rare, rarely, if ever, saw anybody, each other outside of the studio. So from that side of it, it's not like the families grew up together and, and, and became this close to family into one family, a close knit thing, because we were never really around one another. So right. from that aspect, it's not going to be as hard because basically, you know, we just both go and do our things now. And, and there was never really that hanging out anyway, which Greeny actually said, he goes, I think that was a big part of the success is nothing yeah. really interfered with us right. just kind of going on the show and doing our thing. On the one hand, you would think, I wonder if that meant that, you know, you guys didn't get along as well, because if you loved each other, you would want to hang out outside. But then you might not make it 18 years if you're really spending that much time together, right? I mean, not not a lot of people spend four straight hours talking to their spouse. Almost no one probably every single yeah, you're day. Right. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Listen, you, you've been married the most recently out of Green yeah. and I, so do you, yeah. you, do you spend four hours talking to your spouse all the time? No, we're lucky <laughs> if we day? get four minutes some days. <laughs> exactly. So there, there definitely is something that kind of keeps the new newness of it, you know, of that, of the unpredictability or the newness or, or news, or, you know, we get to relay things about each other's families on the show that it's, it's new. We haven't already been over it because we, we dealt with it together. So I, I could definitely see some positives to, to the way this thing went. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And then it makes it perhaps a little bit easier to go separate ways that it is not something where he'll be in New York and and wasn't before, right? You've you've kind of had this set up before. Was there a part of you at all? I know you mentioned um, that, that that Gojo coming along kind of helped make your decision, but was there a part of you that thought, oh, this is a great chance for me to not have to wake up at the crack of dawn. Maybe I want a different schedule or a different kind of show or, or change things up a bit. Yeah, you know, that was that was a thought, yes, because getting out, I'm so used to it now, but but yeah, the <laughs> thought of actually sleeping in is, is a nice thought, because even before I, I was here, I was in Phoenix doing morning radio for a couple of years, so I've been doing it for a long, long time, and, and the day I don't have to anymore is going to be really interesting, because <laughs> even on weekends, I wake up early, right. but I, I think... You know, I, I, I still enjoy the morning acid. What was so great about it through the years is, is while I did miss the kids, like, getting up and going to school, as my wife said, that's really overrated. They get up, they don't say a whole lot, they eat breakfast, and they go to school. <laughs> right. You know, the show ended at 10, so I was able, when they were really young in, 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 in uh, middle school or in grade school, I was able to go and be the lunch monitor, go be the lunch dad out on the, on the recess. You know, I was able to coach them and all their stuff you know, that was after school. So it really afforded me a lot of great things. So the the time of day, while it can be early, when your day's done at 10 or 11 in the morning, it affords you the ability. Now they're older. Now I can see them in different ways. You know, uh, Jake just got married. And when he and his wife, Jenny, when they start having kids, I'll have the opportunity, you know, more of the day still there is a lot of day to to do other things. So that part of it, I I do like. One thing I'll probably get into more, even when I'm done with the show, however much longer I go, I I don't think I'll ever stop and just be done. I think what I'll do, even if I retire out into Arizona, I'll probably still do games. I'll probably go back and do games. I love calling college football games. So It's fun watching you and your son. You guys, Let me tell you, Sarah, (laughs) that is so much fun to do that because we both love football so much and, and, and to be able to share that with him and, and, and do that, that is really a lot of fun. So I've enjoyed that. I know he likes calling him and I'll probably go back and do, cause I loved doing that. I did that when I first got to ESPN in the mid nineties, but then I told ESPN as soon as my first kid, which was Mike got to high school, I was going to stop doing it so I could see all my kids' stuff on the weekends, and that was about right. 2005, so I haven't done it really since then. So let's start with the early days of the wake-up call. When they pitch you uh, this show that's going to start at this hour and every morning, uh, what was your initial reaction to the idea? Was it just excitement about, about the opportunity? Well, it was because I, again, when – because this show started, it wasn't Greeny and I. It was me and Tony Bruno. Um, Tony Bruno used to do radio in Philly when I was playing with the Eagles, and then he was doing radio at ESPN, and they had never had a morning show. So I was was actually living in it. He would go on Overman's show? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I was actually in Arizona doing my morning show there. I would fly to ESPN, do NFL Live, or NFL Tonight, it was called back then. And then I'd fly and do a college game for ESPN or ABC on the weekend, and then I'd start the whole process over. Well, one of the times I came to ESPN, they said, hey, we're, we're looking to, we have this radio uh, thing going. We're looking to start a morning drive time show. Would you be willing to move here and do it with Tony Bruno? So, you know, my wife and I talked. Our kids obviously were young at that, that, that this point. Uh, this was in the mid-90s, and Mike was my oldest. He was born in 89. So, you know, we looked at it as a great opportunity to move out here and do that. So I had already been getting up early for a couple of years. So that wasn't really a big issue for me to come here. I looked at it as more as a great opportunity to come do national radio 
while I was still doing studio for football and calling games. So I looked at it as a really, really uh, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that, that seems to have panned out pretty well. Yeah, not too bad. You know, those of us that uh, did not come from a big-name professional sport that, 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 you know, you already kind of have a certain confidence and swagger to you, when you get those opportunities, it becomes – you know, pretty stressful, a lot of a lot of pressure to like see if this can jumpstart the career that you want. For you, I'm sure there was a part of you that still felt like you needed to prove something as a broadcaster and not as a football player. Do you remember and are able are you able to access the feelings that you had doing show prep, figuring out what your sort of brand or, or on air vibe was gonna be? Do you are you able to even remember what that felt like before it became oh, kind of a rote thing? Absolutely, because you know, I was a football player my whole, even though I played other sports when I was younger, my sport was football. So you ask me anything about, I could talk for days, for weeks, for years about football. But really, it's, when I was doing local radio in Phoenix, now I got to know the third line of the Phoenix Coyotes. <laughs> you know, I got to know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, know the utility players, the, the Diamondbacks. You know, I, I got to know, I got to really get in depth with the local teams. So that was something that I really, really had to dive into, you know, because obviously when I'm playing, I'm not really into the other sports much because I'm worrying about playing in the during the season and then training in the off season. Now I have to not only talk about football, I got to talk about all sports. And on a local level, as you would know, you get way more in depth in local sports. Oh, in sports. the weeds. Oh, yeah. You need Without to know the guy a, they just called up and all that stuff. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So nationally, you just kind of tr- skim the treetops and then dive in deep where you need to on big national stories. So, yes. So that was that was my moment there, my, my couple of years there where I knew I had to put the work in and really because, you know, you get figured out quickly. And, and this mm-hmm. is local radio, so obviously you take calls as well that, man, you can get tripped up and you can get figured out really quickly. This guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So I really had to put my time in and under and get to know the sports better and certainly the players better. I could always talk. It didn't matter to the sport. I could always talk the thinking of an athlete, the, the, the configuration Mindset. of a locker room, the egos of an athlete. I could always talk that no matter the sport, but to really know the sport and know the players locally – that was so actually it got it almost got easier when I got to ESPN, even though it was a national show. And now I'd have more ears and eyes listening and watching me where as in depth as I had to go wasn't as much. And at that point, my thought was, you know, and that comes from my dad again. He said, just always be yourself. He said, if you try and put on an act, people are going to figure it out. So I always was. I was thinking, you know, people are going to like me. So a lot of people aren't going to like me. And that's okay, you know, and, and however it rolls, it rolls. But I'm just going to kind of, you know, be myself, self-deprecating, try and be funny, try and be informative, and, and I'm just going to stick with that. But those, those, uh, those uh, local couple of years, those were really the, the foundation and molding of me really learning, you know, all the sports and making sure I was knowledgeable about them. You, um, you were originally paired with uh, Tony Bruno. So when they brought Greeny in, what was your immediate reaction to him? Was there instant chemistry? What did you think about the matchup? <clears throat> well, this, this was this was an interesting thing. When when Tony left, um, we had I ended up having thirteen potential new Whoa. hosts <laughs> that they were they would it would be some from ESPN like Linda Cohn was one of them. Um, or they would fly people in as well. 
So I went through about a three month period in October of ninety nine until two thousand until the, the the turn into two thousand with people coming in. There were thirteen different guest hosts, that I, and my wife to this day still listens to all four hours of the show, and she did back then as well. Wow! And when when she was listening to people, it started it was started at six for the new the the, the candidates at six fifteen after the first break. I would call, or she would call, and she would give me okay. This person may have some potential. Oh my God, you have three hours and forty five minutes more of this garbage. <laughs> you know. So it was it was all over the place. And when a candidate wasn't there, they would just have like somebody from ESPN fill in. Somebody who wasn't a candidate, but just fill in until a real quote unquote real candidate was there. Right. Well, Greeny was one of the fill in guys. Greeny wow. was doing ESPN news. He just started having like one segment or so on Sports Center. So he was really kind of young and raw, and they just put him in. I literally met Greeny for the first – if Greeny and I didn't work together, we never did the show, we probably never would have got to know one another in, in the building outside of right. passing in the hallways or maybe me going on Sports Center when he was hosting it. I literally met him 10 minutes before the show, and, and um, I, I was a lot heavier than I was. I was damn, damn fat then, actually. <laughs> and so in the first 10 minutes of the show, we joked around saying, you know, the way we look, I'm so skinny, and you, and you got a lot of weight on. He said we'd look like the number ten if we stood next to one another. <laughs> and he always said he was going to goof around like that to see how I took it, and I didn't care. Again, I, I'd be the first one to call myself that. So for the first fifteen twenty minutes, we, we just really clicked. And as God is my witness, that first break, I talked to my wife again. Her yeah. quote, her actual quote was, "He sounds kind of geeky, but he's the one." Wow. I mean, that, that's exactly what she said. He sounds kind of geeky, but he's the one. And it turns out, you know, they brought him back because we were like, oh, that went pretty well. So they brought him back again. And next thing you know, January of 2000, you know, we started uh, started the show. Wow. That's yeah. So um, there, I when I didn't listen to the show much, when it would be on and I wouldn't really listen, and I would pop in every once in a while. You guys always struck me as sort of Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, right? And that yeah. was the way that they kind of all the ads were like that. It was very much playing up the differences between you two. And you were billed as this donut eating meathead, and he was this right. you know intellectual. Do you feel like you've changed a lot over the years? Because I feel like when I listen now, you are just as likely to give very thoughtful takes on serious issues. Um, you know, you still eat donuts and, and, and yeah. you know, dress like Kim Kardashian or don't dress as, as the case yeah. may be. Well, um, yeah. But do you feel like you changed a lot? Oh, yes. I, uh, listen, with I, I do believe with age can come some wisdom. And while we started off that way, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, Felix and, <laughs> and Oscar from, you know, the odd couple, you know, all those all those kind of of opposites. Uh, that that people threw out there, and we played those roles. I mean, we, yeah, we definitely did. But you also you also want to come across as you like to be able to play both sides of it. You like to have some fun at your own expense, goof around, say the the, the obligatory stupid thing so people chuckle. But you'd also like people to listen to you when you're serious as well. Mm, so yeah. that was one thing I was never really afraid to do is give my opinion on something. Even if people didn't like it, I was going to be truthful about it. And so, yeah, from, from I, you always have to be careful of, we knew that we were kind of roles that we were in, but we still were ourselves, you know, Greeny yeah. still came at everything from a fan's perspective, because that's what he knew. I came at everything from the athlete side of it, because that's what I knew. So we were really truthful 
in, in how we came across because that's who we were. While we had our fun with our roles, we were pretty honest with who we were. And I think you have to be that way. Four hours every day. Now, nobody mm-hmm. thought we'd, I, we'd even us didn't think we'd last 18 years. But if it's going to be four hours every day, you know, you got to put yourself out there, you yeah. know, and, and give that opinion that people may not like. But you got to be tr- truthful about it. But no doubt that builds a little in confidence over the years of, of the feeling to do that. So, you know, you obviously changed, you, you, you got older and you, and you, you sort of adjusted your takes or your way of handling everything. Um, how much do you think the industry or the job has changed in 18 years? Because I know there's so many complaints now about nobody sticks to sports anymore. Um, but I don't know how true that is. I think if you want to stick to sports or, if, or in a lot of ways, there were issues and, and things being discussed back in the old days too, but you would know better than anyone having gone 18 straight years in the same spot with the same person. Um, how much did the industry and the job change? Well, it certainly has changed. I think, I think social media has changed a lot of that. Yeah. You know, you, you wouldn't even, even us or, or, or people listening or watching wouldn't know a lot of what happened until they watched Sports Center at six o'clock or Sports Center at eleven o'clock or read their paper in the morning. You know, now it's instant. Now you you know what's going on and now everybody has a voice. Now players are breaking their own news. I mean we used to have people fax in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and now 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 you can get the pulse of the audience quickly. You know, as Greeny would say, we would start talking about a topic if we had a thousand you know, mentions in, in our Twitter uh, handle, we'd say, okay, we're on in, in five minutes. We'd say, okay, we're on to something. If we didn't, then we'd say, okay, maybe we should move on. You kind of get instant, for lack of a better term, kind of an instant rating of what you're talking about. You know, the, listen, the political side of it now, we're in such a political crazy time now, but I have always been one that, in all honesty, I don't care about anybody else's politics, and I'm sure, and I know they don't care about mine. You know, I, I get talk. I get asked a lot. You know, when when some of my colleagues say some things on on Twitter, you know, that can be political, and and they may get in trouble for it or something. And they always say, "Golik, why aren't you sticking up for him?" I said, "Listen, I have always said I am never going to say anything about. I don't care if they work for our network or another network. If they wanted to, to say something, that's their right to do. That's their opinion to do." I, I choose not to do that. I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. I don't think anybody cares what I have to say about that, and I don't care what some nobody's going to sway me, and I'm not going to sway anybody. So I always said, and plus, I'm not good enough at Twitter and, and <laughs> patient enough at Twitter to go through a lot of that stuff, as others may be. So I've always said people can do their thing, and I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to try and stick to sports, but more now than ever, as, as we both know, the politics and world things have crept into sports or they've been so horrific at times that you can't help but have have to talk about them just right. because you can't ignore them and there's so, so many that's been one of the, yeah. yeah that's been one of the big differences is you, you just can't ignore that stuff sometimes it's just a matter of how much people want to delve into them right and you guys are in a good spot because you are that first voice and people go to you for what's going on in sports, right? And by the time you get to later shows, people are like, yeah, I already know that. What do you think about right. it, right? So you get to balance that when you want to give opinion and when you want to cover and just sort of present all the different storylines. Um, this is the last week of the show. We're taping this the day before your last day. Um, and you've been getting all these great messages. What's one of the coolest or maybe two of the coolest dedications you've gotten? 
Well, I, I think I think a couple of the coolest has been uh, have been the golfers. You know, one of the first ones we heard was Tiger Woods. We used to have Tiger Pretty out crazy. a lot. You know, before Tiger, you know, his kind of world collapsed around him. Um, we used to have him out a lot. We used to joke around with him a lot, and uh, and we know he listened to the show and stuff because we had we had other friends who knew him, and he'd say how he listened to the show and such. But so that was that was nice to uh, nice to hear. Uh, coming from him, Jack Nicholas. I mean, my gosh. I mean, wow. Jack Nicholas, Gary Player. These are guys that we'd have on the show. But just just to hear them talk about our show and and talk about it in a way where you know they listen because they bring up things that are sometimes a little more inside or go way back. So that was that's really cool. But quite honestly, the, the things that that moved me and I, and I can only speak for me, but I've heard Greeny say it as well. Is the amount of tweets we've gotten of people that that talk not only said thanks for the 18 years but talked about my my daughter was two you know we started listening now she's 19 and a sophomore in college and we grew up you know i was driving her to school and we listened to you all through her grade school and middle school and high school that's the stuff that that really is cool and then to hear you know our military men and women say you know we listened to you when we were stationed here or stationed there and thanks for getting us through and i'm like my god you you people are thanking us you know we should be thanking you every day you know the men and women in our military for what they do and they're thanking us so that's always been one of the most amazing things to me and then also going and doing trips on the road and they're ungodly hours, even six Eastern, but we're, if we're in Chicago and it's five Eastern, if we're on the West coast and it's three Eastern, the amount of people that are waiting outside the venue to come in and watch, it always blows me away. I'm like, what are you people doing? You know, yeah. we're just, I've been, we're just I've been here on show fluffer before, which is a name that I yes. gave myself, but yeah. I would be there at you know, <laughs> oh, know, three or 4am yeah. and, you know, they're not serving beer yet, Spain, so get out there during the commercial breaks and make sure they don't fall asleep when I make them do oh the truffle shuffle. Oh, my God, you'll and... come, Baird. Absolutely, yes. man. I mean, it was – so that, that always blew my mind, you know, that people would do that. So while it was cool to hear from Tiger and Jack and it's really kind of a neat thing, just I've been amazed at, at, at the, the love we've gotten from people yeah. out there. And their stories, that's what I love, of, of how long they've been listening. The stories of, of, of guys tweeting us when their wives are giving birth in the birthing, birthing room, you know, and we're, we're talking about that. And, I mean, so, so many great stories like that. It's really, really cool. You said you've been working so hard on the new show that you haven't really had a time to be emotional about the end of this one. But do you think tomorrow, when it's really done, um, and presumably maybe there'll be some more surprises or things that you guys don't even know about, um, that it'll kind of hit you that it is the end of something that was very cool? I, I, I'm sure it will. I, I, I personally don't expect any tears from me. No, in this, no, we don't get over, no, over under on that. <laughs> I, I would, I would take the under. I don't think so. Now, again, I don't know if there's any surprises. Now the whole family's going to be there, you know, Chris and, and Mike and Jake nice. and Sydney and Jake's wife, Jenny, and some other friends. And so, so there'll be a lot of people there. So, I don't know, you know, I mean, maybe there'll be something that'll happen or something that will trigger some emotion. Uh, but I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, if this, if this had ended in all honesty, sir, organically, like, you know, the show kind of ran its course, it's kind of time right. to go, you know, I think there would be more of, wow, look at what we did over this time. And now we're just kind of moving on and, but it, 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 it just it felt like even it's weird to say it eighteen years it still and it, it still feels to me like 
it ended abruptly, if that makes right. sense. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I the didn't Bo Jackson of shows. Yeah, I, I didn't expect when I, when I was in the office talking to, you know, the higher up here to hear the words, we're breaking up the show. That, that yeah. stunned me. So even though it's been 18 years, I, I don't feel like it ended the way, in my opinion, it should have ended. So yeah, that so might add to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody oh expects it. Number one, what's a natural talent you wish you were gifted with? Uh, I think playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, I took piano when I was very young and like most probably young kids didn't like it and wanted to stop it as soon as I could. And now since I've, I've met so many entertainers and I go to their concerts and I hear them sing and play their instruments, I'm jealous of them and say, I totally. wish I could do that. Right. We got to spin the language around young kids and musicians uh, yep. to be cool because like, they are. They always graduate and they go on to be rock stars and cool people. And, and when you're a kid, you say, oh, I don't feel like doing this. Absolutely um, right. They're yeah. the smart ones. Yeah. Uh, number two, your Desert Island album. You can only have one. My Desert Island album. Well, uh, of current music, I'd probably go with because I've gotten to be such good friends with them, Darius Rucker. I'd yeah. probably I'd probably take take one of his albums. If I'm going back in the day, I'd probably go with Gord's Gold, Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, you know, one of the, okay. Oh yeah, I love Gordon Lightfoot. So I probably and that's an album I really liked. It was called Gord's Gold. So if I went old school, it'd be him. If I went more now, it'd be Darius. I don't think I can name a single Gordon Lightfoot song. I mean, oh, you I know, know what? Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh yeah, that's. Did you oh, know that yeah. Levitar had Jim Harbaugh on? From the chip <laughs> down to the big lake they call Kichigumi. Oh, yeah. Come on now. And I guess that would be a good tune for being wrecked on a desert island. Uh, <laughs> exactly. The, uh, the Levitar show had Jim Harbaugh on, and they asked him what song always gets your toe tapping, and he said the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And no, I remember serious. hearing that. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't really recall toe tapping to that so much, but weird. I do like the song. Right. Uh, number three, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? I would switch lives with LeBron because I would want to know what it's be, what it's like to be that great at something, to right. be that physically gifted, to be six eight, two sixty, two seventy, and basically do anything you want <laughs> uh, right. physically because he's so gifted. Yeah. I would know. I would like to know what that's like for one day. And I was a pro athlete for nine years. And I yeah. still wish I could it's be that athlete because he was so athletic. Yeah, you can just do anything you want except for be better than Michael Jordan. Number four, there what's, the most, <laughs> what's well the most scared you've ever been? The most scared I've ever been? Wow. That is a great question. When I was doing Golik's Got It, uh, which was a kind of a, a little bit, uh, it was like a, a humor. It was on the Randall Cunningham show in Philadelphia. And it was kind of a humorous look at the next week opponent. Like if we played the Browns, uh, you know, there was a dog pound. I went to an actual dog pound and I sat with dogs and I ate like dog food. It was just kind of a goofy thing that I would do. Well, one time we we played uh, the, uh, the 49ers and I went actually to an old abandoned coal mine and went in it. And we were filming in there and, and we, I, we almost got lost in there. And I thought to Mm -hmm. myself, my God, 
you know, I'm filming this funny skit and I'm going to be lost in here forever. So there, there was a bit of a, a heart jumping uh, moment there that uh, that was that was the immediacy of there was there was a, a realization of this could be the end. I think the next one that will happen is in March. Our family and another family are going to, to South Africa, and my daughter Sydney and I are, are going to go swim with the sharks. So oh, awesome. that might be my that might be my new scariest moment, quite honestly. We're going to South Africa next fall, and I want to do the same. So I'll have to find out all about. There it you go. You. I'll, yeah. I'll fill you in on it. I'll, if I'm here, you know, if I'm if the <laughs> if shark didn't get the back. best of me, I'll fill you right. in. <laughs> uh, number five. What would you consider your biggest failure? My, oh, this is an easy one. Uh, this is an easy one. <clears throat> my senior year in high school, I was uh, the top-ranked heavyweight in the state, and I was kind of breezing through, and I got to the first round of the state. I got all the way to state, hadn't lost. I got to the first round uh, of the state championship, and I lost. I lost mm. in the first round. And, and it was one of those I went and I took the guy down and I let him up. I took the guy down and I let him up, and I shot it again to take him down. He got... Uh, around me and scored, and I, I don't know what happened. You know, give him the credit. He won it. He ended up winning states that year. I ended up coming back and taking third. He ended up playing at Ohio State. Kurt Loudermilk was his name. We ended up playing against each other in the NFL when he was wow. with the Minnesota Vikings and I was in Philly. But without question, my wife, I drive her nuts with this. She saw Loudermilk one time, and she said, would you just, when we were in the pros, she said, would you just <laughs> wrestle him again and let him win so I can stop hearing about this? It is by far my, my worst moment that I, 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 I feel I should have won. I was ranked first. I, I think I should have, and I gacked in that one match, and I will never, ever, 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 ever forget it. Isn't that crazy how that sticks with you? Because I have the Unreal. same thing. Unreal. High school, triple jump. I was crushing I everyone, Greeny, couldn't get my mark in, and it still bothers me to this day. And I told Greeny this, and, and you know, Greeny wasn't an athlete. He doesn't understand. I said, athletes will always remember the negative more than the positive. Yeah. That will just grate them to no yeah. end, uh, a moment or two that, that they just want to have back. Yeah. Uh, number six, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? I think self-deprecation, quite honestly. Um, I, I, I don't mind poking fun at myself. I don't mind if others do it as well. So, uh, it, it never really bothered me. I never took myself too serious at all. So I, I think that's helped me a lot to, to, uh, to, to kind of get through a lot of things just, just to kind of have that attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And to be on the air for so long and deal with people who don't like you and will never like you. And then also convince people who might not. Um, that you know to disarm them with just being right being exactly okay just kind of how Mike does with yeah. the nepotism thing it does it kind of it right. kind of tells people listen you you rip me throw your darts all you want you're not going to really affect me much right uh, number seven what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve you know what I, I'd like to be more muscular again. <laughs> I was just watching you the other day. You're skinnier than Gojo. I mean, you look fantastic. I, I Listen, I, I'm not going to lie. I feel good. Uh, I'm at the weight I was at high school. Uh, so, That's you know, I've had, tw- I've had 12 surgeries, but they all feel pretty good. Um, so I feel great. But, you know, I, I definitely have gotten thinner. There's no doubt about that. But I'd like to get some of that muscle tone back. I don't know if I ever will. I don't. With the surgeries, I don't know if I can lift heavy enough to do it right. uh, anymore. But I, I kind of really like to do that again, even though that's probably a pipe dream. What's your worst surgery? Like, what's the one that 
uh, it's fixed technically, but it, it limits you. Well, I mean, my my shoulder. I mean, my shoulder, and uh, I had one scope on it. I had seven surgeries on my right shoulder and three on my left. The one on my right, one of them was a reconstruction, though. And then, you know, it was early in my career, so what do you do when most people you get a reconstruction and who not, aren't involved in sports? You let it heal up and you live right. your life. Well, you know, I let it heal up and then go keep batter, battering it around on the football field. So I have to keep getting what we would call oil changes after the years to take right. all the floaters out and everything like that. So, and there's still a pin in there. So that that's one that, that will come back to, you know, haunt me uh, pretty often. Yeah, I've had a couple on my knees. At some point, I might need another knee. I've been doing a lot of stem cell uh, treatment, which has been helping a lot. But certainly the shoulder, that many surgeries, and, and one being a major reconstruction, uh, can come back to haunt you. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Um, I would, I would, honest, I would like the word honest, I would like the word loyal, and I would like the word funny, quite honestly. I, 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 I'd like to be, be thought of that. But yeah, honest, loyal, and, and funny. I, those I think those ones. would work for me. Yeah, yeah, those are good ones. Well, I really appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow. I'm going to take the tears just because I think that'd be fun. Uh, but I yeah, like- I, I bet. <laughs> I think that's what everybody's going to be watching for and hoping We're for. We're hoping yeah. for it. There might even be someone peeling an onion under the desk just to try to like help, <laughs> help it along. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on 18 years. And uh, I love Wingo and Gojo, so I'm looking forward to the new show. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Oh, and another thing. This week's That's What She Read is... A variation on a theme. It feels like every week I am sharing a story that has to do with the Me Too movement, Um, but it just feels like we are experiencing a sea change. And I do worry and I do fear that this will all start to fade and we'll get back to the status quo, but I'd like to think that this is big enough and powerful enough and enough things are happening to at least change. Now, Olivia Munn made a really you know, important and powerful comment about how you know, just because we're watching some big names get fired and just because we're watching, you know, some really important stuff happen doesn't mean that these systemic issues have been changed. Uh, This is one of the quotes of of what she said. What we're seeing now, canceling shows, publicly condemning these acts, it's papering over a much more deceitful and rotten infrastructure. The incredibly gross people will be thrown into the fire in the hopes that the masses will quiet down. But what they're doing is pruning the tree cutting off the wilder vines and the disease still remains in the tree. Uh, Very true and very poignant and well said. Um, So it's not an easy fix. It's not going to happen overnight. Not everyone that's done something is going to be revealed. Not every woman that's had it happen to them, myself included, is in a position to speak out about it. Um, So it will go on. It's not an overnight fix, but it will get better. Um, And a story that I read about it that I found particularly interesting was in The Atlantic by Megan Garber. It's called Al Franken, That Photo, and Trusting Women. From Eve to Aristotle to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a brief history of looking at half the population and assuming the worst. And there's a, it's a great read. You should read all of it, but there's one graph that sort of stuck with me. Uh, She writes, on the one hand, of course, men lie too. Yet the expectation has been that they lie as an exception while women lie as a rule. Notions of honor and honesty, quote, honest Abe, Washington's cherry tree, have been construed over time as specifically male aspirations. The words testimony and testify, one theory goes, are rooted in the fact that the men of ancient Rome, as a gesture of trustworthiness and truth-telling, cupped their testicles. 
Women, on the other hand, the mythologies have gone, use their body to manipulate and cajole and entrance. Calypso's cavern, of course, is a metaphor. So is Eve's apple. As the author Dallas G. Denry II put it in 2015's The Devil Wins, A History of Lying from the Garden of Eden to the Enlightenment, quote, over 1,200 years of endlessly repeated authority transmitted in the form of religious doctrine, natural philosophy, and stories, poems, and plays, jokes, and anecdotes framed women as men's natural adversaries. And women have done their fighting, the long-running story has insisted, through seductions of both body and psyche. Quote, sweet words, fallacious arguments, tears, and exposed breasts. And it goes on to talk about how this is not just a matter of the power-hungry using their power and control over uh, women in, in, that are their, their subordinates. It's also about the long-running narrative that has allowed the patriarchy to stay in place, which is that women are lying and that women can't be trusted or believed. And that's why it's so difficult, not just because of victim blaming and the reasons that people have for deciding it's easier to point the finger at the accuser than the accused. Uh, it's easier to believe someone is lying for their benefit than to believe people are capable of badness and evil. It's beyond that. It's also just the idea that women as a whole can't be trusted and can't be believed. And by continuing that narrative, if it allows for the power structure to continue as it has forever. And, 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 uh, it's a good read. It's a deep read, but hey, it's good for you. Dive in. It's called Al Franken, That Woman and Trusting the Women. It's in the Atlantic by Megan Garber. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 